content warning for today's episode. This episode may contain foul language or content that may be sensitive for some listeners. Hi, we're Ellen Taylor, and we're here to join you on your journey from pregnancy to birth, postpartum, and beyond. Here on the podcast, you'll get interviews with birth and parenting professionals, birth stories, and educational episodes to get you feeling confident, supported, and empowered on your journey to and through parenting. Welcome to Birth Reimagined. Hi, I'm Elle Kennedy, a birth photographer and doula based in Orange County, California. Hi, I'm Dr. Taylor Garcia, a doctor of chiropractic, also based in Orange County. So today we are doing Elle's story. So Elle, whenever you're ready, go for it. So yeah, I'm going to share my birth story today. Um, I'm going to touch a little bit on both of my birth stories for both of my children, um, but I'm mainly going to focus on the birth story from my second child, Teddy. So my kids are Charlotte and Teddy. Uh, Charlotte is six and Teddy is four. And um, yeah, so with Charlotte, we decided to have her, uh, me and my partner Jeremy, with a midwife at a birthing center. And that was really important to me because I actually have really severe panic attacks um, when it comes to blood draws or um, if I have to get blood work done or if I have to have an IV put in, I, um, I actually have pretty severe panic attacks. And so for me, I knew I wanted to have an unmedicated birth because I knew that if I had any intervention that involved needles, that I would start having a panic attack and it was very likely that labor would stall for me and that I would end up um, most likely end up in a C-section because I couldn't keep kind of that mental space that I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, so for Charlotte, it was really important for us to have her with a midwife. Um, so that's actually what we did with Charlotte, um, to prepare for her birth. We actually used Bradley method classes. Um, our Bradley instructor was a lovely woman named Melissa Parker. She's located out of uh, Laguna Hills or Lake Forest, somewhere down there. If you look her up, she's on the Bradley Method. She's a trained Bradley Method instructor. And she was amazing. And actually, one of the things that we learned doing those birthing classes with her before I had Charlotte um, was about consent, informed consent, and advocating like we've been talking about in the last few episodes uh, of the show. And, and as we'll continue to talk about, this is really important to me and, and my birth story is really why. Um, so yeah, one of the things she really talked about was making sure that you understood why they were offering certain things and when those certain things would make sense for you to have or to say yes to, and when they might not make a lot of sense. And okay. so, I feel like Charlotte's birth really was a crash course in how to advocate for ourselves and how to seek out informed consent. And we didn't know it at the time, but that was actually going to be incredibly, incredibly important to us when I became pregnant with Teddy. Mm -hmm. So Charlotte's birth story, it wasn't too, you know, terribly exciting. It was fairly normal. It was about 38 hours long. So it was long. I went into labor at 10 o'clock at night. Um, I had one good strong contraction and, and I knew that that was the start of it. And I just 
kept going fairly regular but real slow um, all night long and straight through the next day. And <laughs> I finally had her about 8 a.m. Um, the following day. So I went into oh, labor wow. at 10 o'clock. I went into labor at 10 o'clock at night, the night before her due date, and I had her the morning after her due date. Oh, gee, she just took her sweet time. Yes, she, yes. Apparently, my babies like to take their sweet time. Teddy was 51 and a half hours. That's, so that was even she... longer. Yeah. Um, so with Charlotte, we had her with the birth center. So I showed up at the birth center about midnight uh, on the day she was born. So I'd already been in labor for over a full 24 hours at this point. I showed up at the birth center oh. and I was far enough along to stay. Um, I did a lot of laboring in the tub. Couldn't really get comfortable. Their tub was, um, it was a little narrow. So when I was in between contractions, I wanted to be resting, like sitting down on my back. But mm -hmm. during contractions, I wanted to be on all fours. Okay. And so I couldn't flip over back and forth fast enough. When I start to feel a contraction come on, I would try and flip over in the tub, but I couldn't get over fast enough okay. um, for my comfort. So I ended up not being in the tub as much as I initially thought that I was going to be. Mm -hmm. So you actually stayed home for almost an entire day before you went to the birthing center or for an oh, entire yeah, day. I yeah, I'd been in labor for over 24 hours at home before we transferred over to the birthing center. What did you do at home to kind of just set, you know, set in front of the TV? Did you have a bath there? Did you? Um, like... I spent a lot of time in the bedroom from what I remember because like um, our bed was low to the ground. So like I could, I could have my knees on the floor, but kind of be leaning over the bed. Um, I did uh, take a few baths over the course of the day. I know the whole time I was pregnant with her, I just wanted to be in the bath like <laughs> all the time. Um, it was basically like the only way I could relax. Um, is she a water sign? <laughs> uh, she's a Pisces. Yep. There we go. She's yep. A, yep. She's yep. A water sign. Yep. All I wanted was to be in the water with her. So after we transferred over there, I, I just kept laboring there. Um, I got out of the tub cause I just, I, I couldn't be comfortable in that particular tub. Mm -hmm. Um, so I ended up laboring, on the bed and again same thing like in between contractions I would kind of like be on my side or be on my back and just try and rest because again I'd, I'd been laboring for like 30 hours already I was exhausted yeah I bet and and then during contractions I'd be on all fours mm -hmm. um and when it came time to finally pushing her um to to pushing I actually wanted to be on my back um, they asked me, you know, if I wanted to be in any other positions and I was just like, you know what, I'm too tired. I don't, I, I can't support myself mm -hmm. and push at the same time. I was just, I was so tired. Um, from what they tell me, I pushed about two hours. Your sense of time kind of goes a little wonky. Really? Yeah. Like I, I know that I labored for 38 hours or so with her, but like my memory of that time is a little hazy and it's a little fuzzy around the edges I don't really know how to describe it other than that um but yeah yeah your sense of time just kind of goes out the window you're not really you're not really aware of how long you've been doing something mm -hmm. you're aware of the last contraction and the next contraction and that's okay. basically it at least at least that's how it was for me 
Um, so after I had her, again, I hadn't slept in two days because yeah. I went into labor at 10 o'clock at night. I'd already been up all day. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd already been up for a full 14-hour day. Um, so I kept telling them, I was like, I just need to sleep. I just need to sleep. And they kept checking my blood pressure because mm. my blood pressure was elevated and it wasn't going back down. And so they they called the hospital that was located nearby and they let them know I was going to be transferring over. Um, for observation, just to make sure I was okay. And I kept telling them, I said, you know, I, I just need to sleep. And so once they um, decided that I was going to transfer over and they made the arrangements with the hospital, they're like, okay, you know, it's it's going to be a little while before we transfer you over there. You're not an emergency case. So, you know, but we need to keep monitoring your blood pressure. And I was like, well, if, if there's nothing you can do for me here and it's not going to change how quickly I can get over to the hospital, can I just sleep? for a while and like have you not used the blood pressure cuff because it, it was stopping me from sleeping and so mm-hmm. they were like okay yeah we'll let you sleep so I slept for about a half hour and they checked my blood pressure one more time before we transferred over and it was already starting to go down mm-hmm. um, so it was still high enough that they wanted to observe me so mm-hmm. I transferred over to the hospital and mind you Charlotte was not a patient at the hospital mm-hmm. I had given birth to her somewhere else yeah. So she was never registered as a patient there. Uh-huh. So we got over there. They admit me for observation because she is not a patient. Jeremy had to stay with me the entire time he was not allowed to leave because Charlotte needed an adult uh-huh. who was not a patient okay. to be with her because she right. was not a patient. If yeah. I had had her at the hospital, it would have been fine because they would have had a nurse on staff to, to yeah. be there if I needed anything for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that became a little bit tricky because they had to like bring in one of the baby cribs and things for her because even though she wasn't a patient there, it was kind of an odd situation. Uh Um, so I'm sitting there nursing her and we'd been there, you know, maybe an hour or two and someone comes into the room and he go, he looks at me and he goes, Oh, hi, I'm here for, uh, for your epidural. And I looked up and I just kind of laughed and I'm hold, I'm nursing my baby and I'm like, I think it's a little late for that. And he was like, Whoops. he was like, what? And he like looks up at me and I was like, I didn't realize breastfeeding hurt that bad that I needed an epidural. But I mean, and so he kind of laughed it off and he was like, oh, I think I'm in the wrong room. And I'm like, yes, but- yeah, I bet, <laughs> I bet somebody Whoops. else is looking for you right now. <laughs> Whoops. Um. So that was kind of funny. But um, so then a little while later, I had a nurse come in and the nurse came in and was like, hi, I'm here to take the baby for her hearing test. And I looked at her and I said, excuse me. And she goes, yeah, yeah. Every baby, you know, has to have a hearing test. It's a state mandated thing. And I said, yes, I understand that. But my child is not your patient. And she was like, what? And I was like, my baby was not born here. My child is not checked in here. You can't touch her. Yeah. So she was, uh, she was insisting. She was like, oh, you know, I have to take the baby. And I was like, no, like, I don't know you like (laughs) go away. So she goes, well, I'm going to have to talk to my supervisor about that. And I was like, you go right ahead. You talk to your supervisor about that. You come back to me. And so as soon as she left the room, I actually called Melissa, our Bradley instructor, because she lived a couple miles away from where, Uh, the hospital I was at. Mm -hmm. And so I called her and I said, Melissa, 
I, I had to transfer to the hospital after Charlotte was born. She was born with a midwife. They want to take her and do a hearing test. And Melissa was like, oh, oh no. And I was <laughs> like, I know that's what I said, but they're like going to get a supervisor. And she was like, I will be right there. And she actually <laughs> came over to the hospital and she sat with us. And so the lady came back and she was like, um, so my supervisor says that because your baby is not checked in and not a patient here, um, we're, we're not allowed to do anything. And Good. I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. And so, you know, Melissa, Melissa was there. She was able to, uh, she's also a lactation consultant. So she was able to help us a little bit with, uh, you know, those first couple nursings and things like that. And then um, she, you know, she left again. And uh, so I was basically under observation for two days. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Or I'm sorry for, yeah. So for the rest of, cause I, I checked in at like, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning or something like okay. that. So I was there for that night. We spent one night there and then I was there most of the next day. Um, and they were doing blood work and remember I have panic attacks with the blood work, yeah. and, you know, things like that. And so that doesn't help my blood pressure. So they were looking not. for certain, they were looking for certain numbers to drop back down to normal or at least be approaching normal. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that second evening that we were there, uh, the doctor came in and he told me, he's like, you know, go ahead and get one more night's sleep. We'll take your blood in the morning. And, you know, if your numbers are good, we'll let you go. And I looked at him and I was like, I just want to go home. Like our plan was to give birth at the birthing center. I, you know, the birthing center only keeps you for a couple of hours before they release you usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, you know, I've spent, I spent 36 hours here and, you know, I, I was not prepared for this. I was prepared to be at home. So I told him, I was like, you know, I'd, I'd really like to go home. And he goes, well, I know you're having trouble with the blood work, so I'll make you a deal. If you want to go home tonight, I have to do another round of blood work. If your numbers are, you know, X, Y, Z, I will let you go home tonight. But okay. if your numbers are not good, you will have to get another round of blood work first thing in the morning. Hmm. And so I was just like, you know what? I have that gut feeling. I need to just take that risk. Like mm-hmm. it's going to suck. I I know I hate them. I I know I struggle with the blood work, but go ahead, do it. And my numbers came back and they were good. So we actually got released that night. I think he was shocked <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that I had agreed to it and then that um, he he let us go. Um, Listen, I want to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I'm done. I want to be in my own bed. I'm ready to be home. Um, so yeah, they, you know, my numbers came back good enough that he was comfortable sending me home. So we went back home and that was that. Um, so fast forward two years and, uh, I was pregnant with Teddy and Teddy, uh, we found out when I was 22 weeks or so pregnant, mm-hmm. um, we went in for a fetal echo. Okay. And so between, I guess I should back up a little bit. Between having Charlotte and Teddy, the midwives at the birth center that I used changed their policy because they'd had another baby born with them who had a heart defect. Mm-hmm. And that baby's heart defect was not life threatening. The baby is totally fine. But they decided as a birth center that from there on out, Every baby would have a heart echo before they cleared the mother to birth with them as an okay. extra precaution. It's understandable. It's not, eh. Right. It's not something that's typical. Most moms don't get an echo. They get an ultrasound, but they don't always get an echo, especially one that focuses on the fetal heart. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turns out, it's actually really good 
that we went with the midwife the first time around, that they changed their policies and that they required that fetal echo because Mm -hmm. Teddy had a congenital heart defect Mm -hmm. that we would have been completely unaware of had we not had that echo. So I'm a big believer that the universe sets things up for us exactly the way that we need them. So maybe there's a reason that I have panic attacks with needles and that led us to choosing a midwife and we ended up where we did and Mm -hmm. they changed their policies and Teddy was right where Teddy needed to be because they detected uh, a congenital heart defect Um, Teddy was born with an anomalous pulmonary artery off the aorta. Um, So for those of you who are not in the medical field, (laughs) um, Teddy's heart and one of the lungs were basically attached in the wrong order. So the blood is supposed to go into one chamber of the heart. uh, So through one chamber of the heart, through the lungs, and then back through the other chamber of the heart. Mm Mm-hmm. So the lungs oxygenate the blood and then push it back through the second chamber of the heart. So because the lung and the heart are in that wrong order, his one of his lungs was getting oxygen or was getting blood that had already been oxygenated by the other lung. Mm-hmm. And while that sounds like it shouldn't be too big of a deal, it actually can cause that second lung to um, get really sick. Mm-hmm. basically and and um cause a lot of problems. So if this particular type of birth defect is undetected at birth the baby will look perfectly healthy. The baby will pink up just like normal. The baby will act just like normal. You will not know that there's anything wrong with this baby for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then when the baby's about 2 months old or so, the baby will start having signs of failure to thrive. They Mm -hmm. will stop gaining weight. They will start having other health problems and will end up in the hospital. And hopefully at that point, um, the healthcare professionals will figure out what the problem is and correct it because it is something that needs surgery to correct. It will not correct itself. Mm -hmm. Um, The survival rate is 30% past year one. So not a good survival rate. So when I say, you know, this isn't, this was a big problem. This was a big thing for them to have caught. Yeah. Um, So it was really important that they caught it when they did. Mm -hmm. We actually found out about the heart condition. I actually went to that particular um, echo appointment by myself. Jeremy had been present for Every appointment with Charlotte and every appointment with Teddy up until this point. This was the first appointment that I'd ever gone to by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason, you know, Jeremy stayed home to watch Charlotte while I went to this appointment. It was like a two-hour long echo. Oh, I wow. Felt like I, I actually fell asleep on the exam table because oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> oh. So they're doing it and I just passed out. Um, so I had to call him afterward and let him know what had happened and I was crying my eyes out Mm. I was so upset I had to pull over the car so that I could cry and collect myself before I finished driving home Mm. we found out two days before Christmas oh so we went to Christmas Eve with all of my extended family and everybody's in this big you know party mood everybody's excited and clearly like me and Jeremy are not 
And so, you know, I finally got stopped by, I don't remember if it was one of my cousins or one of my aunts, somebody stopped me and was just like, you know, Hey, what is going on? And I had to start sharing with people like, you know, look, my, my kid has a heart defect and, and, you know, we don't know everything that this means yet. Like we, we had so many questions at this point, we didn't have any answers. Mm -hmm. Um, and as it turns out, my uncle is actually, um, a world renowned doctor. I'm not going to name drop just in case he doesn't want me to. Um, <laughs> but he actually is a world renowned children's doctor um, up in Northern California. And mm-hmm. so I reached out to him and I was like, hey, you know, can you help us help walk us through some of this stuff? Like, what do we expect? Where do we go? Who do we talk to? And so he, you know, contacted some of his cardiologist friends who, who specialized in uh, child cardiology and, you know, got us in touch with you know, all of the people that we could ever imagine needing to get in touch with and, and helped us navigate, um, our relationship with, uh, Teddy's cardiologist at chalk, um, who is wonderful. She's fantastic. And, you know, the surgical team and like all of it. That's really good. Um, so it was really, really nice to have somebody in the family who I could reach out to and say, Hey, you know, is this normal? Like, you know, can I get a, you know, a second opinion? Like, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So moving forward at that point, um, you know, we had to tell the midwives. So I was 28 weeks pregnant when my care needed to switch from a midwife to an OB. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified. That kind of thing is very, very overwhelming to me. Um, I have um, so a little bit of neurodivergent um, issues and making appointments is very difficult to me. Making phone calls like that to talk to doctors is something I really, really struggle with. Mm-hmm. And then having to do this at 28 weeks pregnant, having to do this knowing I'm going to have to talk about Teddy's condition and all of the unknowns and try to convince a doctor to, to take us on because yeah. I was considered low risk. The pregnancy was considered low risk. The birth it was considered low risk. But as soon as Teddy was born, Teddy was considered high risk. Yeah. And I talked to a dozen OBs and all of them told me either they didn't have space, they they didn't have room to take on another patient with my due date, or they were uncomfortable taking me on as a client because of Teddy's condition and knowing yeah. about Teddy's condition ahead of time. Um, so I finally found an OB who was willing to take me. So the first appointment we had with her, uh, when we walked out, Jeremy was very uncomfortable with her. I did not particularly click well with her. Um, we were in the elevator going back down to our car and Jeremy turned to me and he said, if you want to continue to see her, I understand, but I do not want to come to any more appointments with you. Mm. because her style was just a little abrasive and um, kind of condescending and didn't take him or Charlotte into consideration. Um, Even, even so far as like just the, the space itself was very unwelcoming to people with children. Like Mm -hmm. there, you know, like a lot of doctor's offices you'll go in and there'll be like, you know, some kind of little toy or something to keep the child entertained, or at least like a child sized seat or a TV on or something. Mm -hmm. They had nothing. And in the exam room, you know, there were signs everywhere saying, you know, you're not allowed to eat in here. You're not allowed to drink water in here. And I was just like, 
I have a two-year-old like we've been waiting for half an hour and our you know we have another half hour appointment like you expect my child to sit here and do nothing Mm. for an hour like they're two that's yeah so Overall, it was just kind of an uncomfortable experience. And anytime Jeremy, you know, had a question or spoke up, she kind of would just give him this look of like, why are you here? Like, I don't understand what your role is. And like, it was just Uh, very disconcerting. Yeah. But I told Jeremy, I I was so tired after, after talking to all of these other OBs and being turned down so many times. I was like, you know, I just, I don't know that we're going to find anyone else. And, and I just need to stick through it. Like we we just need to deal. That was my first mistake. Mm -hmm. Um, I, in hindsight, I should, I should have, I should have gone back and, and asked for help is, is really what I should have done. And I didn't know that I had people that I could ask for help from. I, I should have leaned on Jeremy more. I should have asked him to make some of these phone calls or, you know, reached out to a friend or somebody else who, who might be able to help me better. Um, but I didn't, I was like, you know, I have to do all of this myself. So, um, Fast forward a few more weeks and I'm at another checkup. And so I I brought in my birth plan and I said, you know, here are my birth preferences. Here are the things that, you know, I'm concerned about moving forward. And, you know, I told her, I said, one of the things I'm really concerned about is an IV or a HEPLOC because we had to have Teddy with a hospital. And I know that that's routine at a lot of hospitals. And she goes, oh, well, it's routine. So we're going to do it. And I was like, no, I don't think you understand. Like, I, I can't have an IV. If you have an IV in me, I I will have a panic attack and, and my labor will stall. Like, you know, my first labor was slow but steady and and I didn't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. And so she goes, okay, well, we'll just do a HEPLOC. And I was like, <laughs> no, I, I can't have listening. anything. Yeah, I can't have anything under my skin like that. Um, I I can feel it. Like, I know a lot of people, like when they get blood draws or things like, yeah, it's like, oh, I can't even feel it. I'm like, no, I can feel it. So uh, for people who might not understand what a HEPLOC is, it's basically um, it's basically like a little piece of tubing kind of where they can hook an IV directly into that. So the tubing is in your skin like they would do to an IV, except it's capped off. So if they need to get an IV in you, they already have the line done um, and they can do it much quicker. They just, you know, plug whatever IV thing into the tubing that's already in you um sort of layman's terms and probably messing it up a little bit but but you get the general idea yeah um but it is still already inserted in you um so that was something that was concerning to me is having anything at all under my skin I know a lot of people when they get a blood draw um you know they feel that initial poke and then they feel maybe a little bit of pressure but it's not painful um for me, I have some sensory stuff. I can feel a needle or tubing or anything like that in my skin the entire time. Oof. So blood draws are incredibly painful for me. Mm. Um, I am a grown woman and I cry like a baby every single time that it has to happen because it's so painful um, the whole time. Um I had an MRI done recently and the nurse was like, wow, most people have a lot more trouble with the MRI machine than, you know, the, the iodine or the, the contrast. And I was like, nope, it's the contrast for me. Oh. <laughs> like, that's the part I have trouble with. Um, 
so, you know, I told her this, I said, these are my concerns. And, you know, I, I really think that my labor will stall if, if you do this. And she, she turns to me and she goes, did you know that you can bleed out in as little as 10 minutes? Ugh, and I, I, I understand her concern of a hemorrhage issue. And I understand that, you know, a lot of women end up dehydrated throughout the process of labor. Even if you're drinking the entire time, your body is using all of that liquid. Yeah. Um, so I, I understand her concern. Um, however, I had already had a child. And with my first child, I had no bloody show before I had her. And afterward, my bleeding was actually really minimal compared to what I've heard from other women talking about things. And as a birth photographer, I've seen a lot of birth photography. And I can tell you, my experience was, for me personally, there was not a lot of blood. Um, and so I, I told her all of this. I said, you know, I've had a child. I didn't have any bloody show. And she actually was like, well, that's just not possible. And I was what? like, I was like, I, I beg to differ. I, I had a child. I had no bloody show whatsoever. I, I didn't have that. And she was just like, well, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, whatever you say. Oh boy. Um, so from then on out from that point, I felt like there was kind of this turning point in my relationship with, with her where it went from kind of this begrudging like, okay, we're going to work together to it started to feel hostile Oof. where – oh, because I'm sorry. So I forgot to say why. Um, so she told me, you know, did you know you could you could bleed out in as little as 10 minutes? And I looked at her and I said, if you don't have confidence in yourself and your team – to get an IV in me in 10 minutes or less, I don't have confidence in you as my birth provider. I realize like 10 minutes is not a long time, but also in a hospital setting, that's a pretty long time. Yeah. When I'm already going to be in the hospital, when I'm already going to have people with me, I'm, I'm going to have Jeremy with me and I I was going to have a doula with me. Like I have people right there with me. If there's a problem, we will be able to get a nurse if there's not already a nurse in the room very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and and things like that, you know, it, in my particular case, it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I was low risk. My birth is low risk. My pregnancy is low risk. There, it It's routine. I understand that. But that doesn't mean it's necessary. Mm -hmm. And... And I was informed. I did understand the risks. And I'm allowed to consent. Yeah. I've been informed. I don't offer consent for this. Yeah. Um, so she kind of brushed me. Oh, so, so, you know, I tell her, you know, I don't, I don't have faith in you and my birthing team if that's, if that's the way you've, you know, if you, if you don't have confidence in this. And she goes, we can do it. And I was like, then I don't see what the problem is. Yeah. And so fr from then on out, it, it, you know, turned from that kind of grudging, begrudgingly working together to, you know, starting to get a little hostile. So she said, um, you know, well, let's bring this up. We, we were going to have um, this big meeting with the birthing team, with the NICU team that was going to be taking over Teddy's care after they're born, and with the surgical team. And so it was going to be this big conference meeting at the hospital with 
all of these providers and us and we were all going to sit down at a table together and they were basically going to say start to finish here's what this is going to look like here's our plan here are you know you get to meet all of the people who are going to be in charge through every step of the way because at that point the only people that I had met were the OB and the cardiologist but mm-hmm. Teddy's cardiologist doesn't take over until after the surgery is done yeah oh okay um, because Teddy's surgery was going to have to be done within a couple days of being born. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I'm sure the cardiologist checked in on Teddy beforehand, before that, but also most of my interactions with her have been since then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we got to meet the rest of the team. And so we sat, you know, we sat down at this meeting and the OB was actually running late. Um, something uh... was going on and she was running late. And so we sat down with the team and, you know, they they go through, they they go around this room and there's probably 20 people in the room and they introduce all of the people. I mean, everything from, you know, the surgical team, the NICU team, the the birthing team, the head, uh, you know, labor nurse, you know, head, the head nurse of like labor and delivery to they even had like a grief counselor and oh wow um, the the chaplain was there. And like, I mean, like everybody who you That's could think everybody. of. Yeah, it was really, really nice. And it, you know, it was actually that conference that partially inspired this show of connecting birthing people with different providers who they might need. Because I didn't even know that some of these people were people who might be people I need to, I might need to reach out to in mm-hmm. the future. But now I had a contact to them. Now I had a lifeline there. Um, so she was running late and so they, you know, they go around, they introduce themselves and the cardiologist, you know, leans over and she goes, you know, before we get started, do you guys have any questions? And I said, yes, I would <laughs> like to ask about the IV headlock. And she was like, I don't understand because, you know, she's a cardiologist. She's like, what are yeah. you talking about? And I was like, you know, um, you know, my OB told me that it's routine to do an IV and a headlock, but I really don't want one. I have you know, really bad panic attack, you know, and I laid it all out for them. And so, you know, they all start conferring together, you know, all these little <laughs> subgroups talking to each other. And then uh, they kind of reach a consensus and they, you know, they all turn back and they go, okay, yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. I don't, I don't see why you should need one. You know, they wanted to, to check in with everybody else and make sure, you know, they were all on the same page as far as, you know, my birth is low risk. I am low risk. Teddy is low risk until Teddy is born. And so, you know, for uh-huh. all of these reasons, they're like, yeah, you're you're low risk. I don't see why you should need one. We we okay. have no reason to believe that you know you will need one. Yeah, so it's all good. And so it's like great. Yes, we're we're all good. And so you know they go around. They they talk us through the entire thing, start to finish. You know, after you know after Teddy's born, they're gonna want to you know they're they're probably not gonna let you have uh, you know usually right after a baby is born, they put the baby right on the mom's chest mm-hmm. and. Um, a lot of hospitals now are navigating towards um, baby and mom-centric um, care, so letting the umbilical cord stop pulsing before they cut it and things like that. And they, you know, they let me know. They said we're going to try to do this as much as we can, but we mm-hmm. need you to understand there is a slim chance that Teddy will not take the transition from in the womb to Earthside quite. As well as we hope, there is a slim chance that we will need to take Teddy immediately, mm-hmm. that we will need to, you know, do all of this stuff. And um, 
So we just need you to be aware of that. Like this is the ideal. And then here's the not ideal situation. And like, obviously Uh there's some, you know, shades of gray options in between there. Yeah. So, you know, they did let me know, like when Teddy is born, we're going to want to examine immediately. And then, you know, based on how Teddy is adjusting, then, you know, we'll kind of base it on there, but it's likely you will not get to hold Teddy for more than about 10 minutes. And then we'll have to take Teddy, you know, through the tunnel from St. Joseph's to Chalk. Uh, they, they're right across the street from each other. They have this lovely little tunnel that goes beneath the two hospitals that connects them. That's really cool. Um, so you can go from one to the other. Yeah. So they are going to take Teddy through the tunnel and up into the Chalk. They actually have a cardiac NICU there. Okay. Specifically for the heart babies. Um, so he, uh, Teddy would be taken to the cardiac NICU. And then from there, further evaluations, they would set the surgical date based on how Teddy's doing, but likely it would be within the first week or two of life. And then Teddy would need to recover in the hospital up in the actual cardiac wing, no longer in the NICU. And, you know, when Teddy's recovered, then Teddy can come home with us. Okay. Um, so, you know, a lot of information thrown at us. And then the OB walks in at the end of the meeting. <laughs> And so the whole Very meeting's end. basically over. And so the OB, you know, finally makes it in. And, you know, the cardiologist, poor woman, she had no idea she was stepping in anything. She oh. turns to the OB and is like, oh, you know, hi, you know, it's so great to have you. Did you have anything you wanted to add? And she goes, yes, I want to talk about the HEPLOC, the IV HEPLOC oh. issue. <laughs> and the poor cardiologist, she looks at her and she goes, oh, no, that's totally fine. We already talked about it. We already discussed about it. Yeah, she doesn't need to have one. And I could just see the look on the OB's face. Oh, it was so bad. And again, I had that gut feeling of like, I need to cut and run right now. Like, this is not going to end well. She was furious. And again, I didn't trust my gut. And... And I was just like, you know, like it's too, it's too soon. I think I was at like 32 weeks or so at this point. And I was just like, nope, like we're gonna, you know, we're sticking through it. We've committed, like it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, So fast forward a little more and I go into labor. And so I was in labor with Teddy for 51 and a half hours. That is Teddy, once again. I went into labor right around 10 o'clock at night. Same thing. Um, My parents had actually taken Charlotte up to their cabin in the mountains for the weekend. And I have a feeling that's why I went into labor is it's, it's this fascinating thing. As soon as the other children (laughs) are out of your house, your body's like, Oh, I don't have to worry about other children. I can give birth now. Um, (laughs) It's, it's gotta be a subconscious thing. Um, But I I see it all the time with, um, other birthing people as well. Um, so uh, same thing. I went into labor late at night with Teddy, labored all through the night, labored all through the next day, labored through the next night. And the following morning. So I, once again, I went into labor, uh, the night before Teddy's due date, Mm -hmm. labored straight through Teddy's due date, labored straight through the next day and had Teddy at like three 30 or so in the morning. Um, so two days after his due date. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Technically, technically, uh, two days after his, after their due date. Um, so I had checked into the hospital around noon ish the, the day before I had Teddy. Cause I had Teddy at like three o'clock in the morning. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So I was at the hospital for like 15 hours in labor. And we got there. I I actually went to the hospital twice. The first time they sent me home um, because oh, I wasn't okay. far enough. So the second time I went back and, and they finally admitted me around noon. Mm-hmm. And I was like at a five, like barely at a five. And I was just like, I've okay. already been doing this for a day and a half. And I'm, I'm at a five. Like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> um, so Jeremy and I, and my doula, uh, Courtney, we started doing laps of the birthing wing, just laps and laps and laps walking in circles. And several hours later, one of the nurses oh, was geez. like, I have never seen anyone do this many laps before. And I was just like, in my mind, I was like, are you playing mind tricks on me? Because like, I I don't like this. I don't want to be told this. I'm ready to give birth. Um, There's this hilarious scene in Gilmore Girls that I love of Suki going to Lorelai's house in the middle of the night. And she's just like, I want to give birth. And I was just like, that is how I felt in that moment. I just want to have this baby. Um, so at one point I, I went back into, um, you know, my, my birthing room and the nurse was very concerned about, you know, me, me getting up and walking around, uh, once I hit a certain point, because I guess, uh, like a week before she'd had a woman give birth standing up with no doctor to catch. She just kind of was like walking back from the bathroom and like, just had the baby oh wow and the baby actually hit the floor and so the nurse the nurse was very very concerned and like very like I don't ever want that to happen again like she was very yeah she was like she she really wanted me to like labor on the bed and I was just like no I'm I'm walking as long as I can and she was Mm -hmm. like well once we hit a certain point you know I really want you to to be on the bed um so that point came and the OB finally came to the hospital to come and and be there for the birth and everything. And the OB came in and insisted on uh, on a vaginal exam. And mm. I was like, I will let you do one and then we're done here. But when she came in, I, uh, you know, the nurse had already asked me to please stay on the bed from here on out. Um mm-hmm. And so I was actually the, – the bed had the back up, so it was in like the L position. And I actually mm-hmm. was facing the back of the bed with my arms over it, just kind of laboring like on my knees, but like my arms draped over the back of the bed, kind of laboring like that. Okay. Yeah. And the OB um, – so uh, the OB came in and was like, you know, I'm here for your exam now. And I was in mid-contraction. And I was also in transition at this point. Um, And transition Mm -hmm. is uh, mentally, it is the hardest part of labor. It is the part of labor where you're exhausted and mentally you just feel like you can't do it anymore. It's a very normal stage of labor. It happened with my first kiddo too. Um, And I, I was just, I was toast and I, I, was at a point mentally where it took all of my effort to get through a contraction. I could not talk during them. Um, I So I could not advocate for myself during contractions. And even in between, I was very exhausted at this point. I'd been up for 48 hours. I had been laboring for 48 hours. I'd already been up for far longer than that. 
Mm-hmm. And um, she came in and she insisted on doing the vaginal exam. And and I was trying to tell her in the middle of this contraction, you know, just just wait and I will roll over so you can do the exam. And she started um, getting more and more agitated. And mm-hmm. you need to roll over right now. You know, you're not complying. Oh, and, geez. you know, I, I need to do this exam. And I was just like, at, at one point, like, I'm still in the middle of this contraction. And, and mind you, contractions are about a minute or so long. So it's not like I was making her wait 15 or 20 minutes. This is, you know, this is a very short period of time that all of this yeah. transpired. And she was just like, roll over. And I was just like, I can't. And oh. I and I screamed it. And so she was like, fine, then I'll do the vaginal exam this way. Oh, no. And without asking for consent, without discussing it, she approached me and inserted her hand to do a vaginal exam from behind while I was in the middle of a contraction, while I was in a position that is not anatomically um, easily accessible for yeah. an exam. Um, and it was the most painful thing I've ever gone through in my life. It was worse than birth itself. Um, it oh, was, no. I, f- I feel like I also need to preface this by saying, um, I also, um, I'm a survivor of attempted rape from behind. Um, uh-huh. So this was incredibly incredibly triggering to me on many many levels imagine oh my gosh Um, and and this is this is one of the sorry um it's fine this is one of the reasons i i think that my story is really really important to share but it also is why it's difficult for me to share yeah um so she I, I basically I just started screaming at the top of my lungs oh. and Courtney my doula bless her she came over and was just like you need to stop like she is screaming you need to stop and so the OB removed her hand and was like well she's not complying anyway and she turned around oh, and left geez. the room and what a um, can't use that word <laughs> um can i use that word like what a bitch it's it was it was very difficult um oh i take that back she didn't leave the room right away um she stayed so she was like well she's not complying and so you know my contraction slowed down and i was able to roll back over on the bed so i was you know kind of in like a sort of sitting up position but but slouched down enough that that she was still able to do a regular vaginal exam. And so she goes to um, do the vaginal exam. And um, earlier in the day, she had come in to check on me um, like several hours earlier. And when she had first checked on me and she had insisted on a vaginal exam before, she had told me to push. And I told her I didn't want to. And she was like, I need you to push or I can't tell how far along you are. Now, That's not true. That's not how it works. Um, And in fact, pushing before you get that bearing down urge um, can actually cause your cervix to swell and start to close up again. Oh, no. Um, So you really, really shouldn't push 
until your body tells you you're ready. And tr- it's, it is an unmistakable urge to bear down and you actually, you can't fight it when it happens. If you try to fight it, it'll actually be more painful. Uh, yeah, it, imagine. it's fascinating the way the body works. Um, <laughs> so I got into a shouting match with her as she has her hand in me examining me and she's like, I need you to push. And I was like, no, I don't want to push. And she was like, I need you to push. And I was just like, you have your hand in me. Like, I can't make you stop. I can't get you off. Like the only thing I can do is comply. I have no options. So I pushed. So oh. later after this traumatic incident and, you know, I'm finally rolled over and she's able to examine me the proper way. She goes, you're swelling. And she goes, you've been pushing. No haven't you?" And I <laughs> wanted to hit her. I've never wanted yeah. to punch somebody so badly <laughs> in my life. And of course, like another contraction starting. So like, I can't do anything. I'm just like, Oh, oh, lady, get out of my space. Like, get away from yeah. me. So another contraction starts and she leaves. So at this point, she leaves the room and I, you know, I don't know where she goes. The doctor's lounge or whatever. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> the nurse comes over and Jeremy, bless his soul, he approaches the nurse <laughs> and he goes, that woman is not allowed back in this room. And the nurse is like, I'm sorry, what? And he goes... Let me put it for you like this. Um, if she comes back in this room again, I will punch her in the face. <laughs> he is not somebody who threatens other people. He is not a physically violent person in any way, shape, or form. This was incredibly out of character for him. Also, I don't blame him because I have the exact same <laughs> instance yeah. of like, I want to hurt this person. I... I don't want this person near me. I'm not safe around this person. So I actually yeah. commend Jeremy for not injuring her, for waiting for her to leave <laughs> the room. And then for setting a very clear boundary with the nurse and saying, she is not welcome here again. Um, so at that point, the the poor nurse is just like, um, well, well what do you want me to do? <laughs> like, you know, somebody has to catch the baby. And um, for those of you who don't know who are listening to this, um, legally a doctor needs to be a doctor or a midwife um needs to be present to catch the baby nurses are legally not allowed to catch babies neither are doulas um it does happen on occasion um you do hear stories about it um typically there's a pretty hefty fine that goes along with that um if there is a doctor available and somebody else catches the baby who shouldn't be Uh, um it's at least in a hospital setting, it might be a little bit different with a home birth. You know, the things are a little different in that kind of a setting, but in the hospitals, they are bound by, by some pretty strict rules and regulations on who is allowed to catch a baby and who is definitely not allowed to catch a baby. Um, so the nurse was very like, um, well, what do you want me to do? Like somebody (laughs) needs to be here. And so in the middle of a contraction, I looked over at her and I was just like, what would you do if I walked in off the street? And she was like, what? And I was like, if I came in here and you didn't know who I was and I'm about to have a baby, what would you do? And she goes, oh, (laughs) we have an on-staff laborist. And I was like, well, you you better go go get them then. I'm having a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's actually exactly what she went to do. So she, you know, went and contacted the on-staff laborist who was there that day. And he came in 
And at this point, between how long I had been in labor and with the trauma I was now reeling through in my head, um, yeah. I was not coping. I, I was no longer coping with any of it mm-hmm. uh, to the point where uh, all of my birth preferences were now out the window and I was like, you know what? I want an epidural. I don't even care if I end in a C-section. I, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I'm not coping any longer. Um, yeah. Well, remember I was in transition. So that's yeah. already, that's already kind of one of those things going through your mind while you're in transition as mm-hmm. it is. Um, so add to that the trauma and um, yeah, it's, it's too much. And I was even more so. Um, so the laborers comes in and I'm just like, I need you to get me something. Like I, I can't do this anymore. I'm so done. And so the laborist, you know, slowly like, you know, get starts getting all set up and is just like, okay, well, you know, real calm collected. Well, you know, I just want to let you know that, you know, if you agree to an epidural, then you need to know. And he starts going through the informed consent speech <laughs> at snail's pace. <laughs> and tricky <laughs> right in hindsight i'm completely aware of what he was doing he was stalling he knew <laughs> that i was right on the verge of being done with transition he could tell he'd seen it before you know he'd been doing this mm-hmm. for many years and he knew what was coming he knew that by the time they got an anesthesiologist down there and an epidural hooked into me i was already going to be ready to be pushing so what the heck is the point at this point like th- yeah. they're never going to make time and also remember it's the middle of the night at this point yeah um so he starts in real slow and i'm just like i don't care i don't care like yes yes i agree <laughs> whatever and he's like okay well i still have to go through all of this and so then he gets to the end of it and i'm still like yes i want the epidural like yes i want like go find your anesthesiologist i will kiss the person like i don't even care like so then he turns to jeremy and courtney and he starts the speech all over again. It was like, I need you guys as, as support people to understand what's, you know, what is being consented to right now and what the risks and what the, and I was just like, oh, oh, you, sir, you, sir. And then about, you know, a quarter of the way into his speech, the second time through now, my yeah. eyes get all round and I like sit up. And I look at him and he just like turns slowly back at me and to, you know, to look at me and we make eye contact. And I was like, I have to push. And he's like, great, let's go. And then like, it's total like mood shift. Like, you know, he throws the gloves on and gets all the stuff. Like he's ready to go. And he's just like, you know, coaching me through the pushy. And I was just like, in hindsight, I was just like that tricky bastard. Like he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly where I was at. And he was right there the whole time. So, yeah, um, that, <laughs> um, so it, it, you know, and I, you know, I have Teddy and, you know, Teddy, you know, seemed to be coping. Okay. I was able to, you know, have some tummy time with Teddy and, That's good. uh, you know, at some point they were, you know, about 10 minutes later, they were like, Hey, you know, we need to take Teddy down for some more testing that we can't do here. And Courtney kind of stepped in 
and I, you know, I was actually really, really grateful for it at the time because it's not something I would have thought of myself. But she goes, you know, Teddy seems to be coping really well right now. You know, that initial shock that you guys were worried about doesn't seem to be happening, you know, and they were like, yeah, it, it would have happened already. And she was like, mm-hmm. well, then do you think she can have just a few more minutes? And they were like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, she can have a few more minutes. So they let me have about 20 more minutes with Teddy before they took Teddy away for, for you know, the echo test and, like, you know, the the more in-depth testing mm-hmm. that they needed to do. Um, So I was not allowed to breastfeed. And that was something mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was really not looking forward to was I was, you know, that was so special with me and Charlotte. But initially they told me, they're like, look, we need Teddy's tummy to be empty just in case we have to do surgery right away. Um, Yeah. So in the unlikely event, we do need Teddy's tummy to be empty. So um, I was pumping. And so, uh, you know, they got me over to the recovery room and um, I stayed there for three days while Teddy was in the NICU and Mm -hmm. I was released. Uh, Teddy's surgery was scheduled for when Teddy was four days old. Okay. Uh, So I was released the day before Teddy's surgery. And so I went home and, uh, you know, was able to see Charlotte and all of that. And, uh, and then we came back to the to the hospital, but this time to chalk for Teddy's surgery and to go through all of that. And um, actually, while I was in the recovery room, the day after I had Teddy, um, the the OB, the on staff laborist who ended up delivering Teddy, he mm-hmm. came by the room to check on me and to <laughs> follow up because he is the one who actually delivered, delivered the baby. Yeah. Uh huh. Um. And so uh, I actually happened to be in the bathroom while he walked in and I overheard the conversation between Jeremy and him. And he told Jeremy that my original OB had actually called the hospital and tried to get her name put onto the birth certificate as the delivering doctor and tried tried to get my care transferred back to her. No. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is so what on Jared. And and so and so he had come personally and he was like, you know, you know, obviously I can't change the birth certificate. I'm the one who delivered the baby, but like, yeah, you know, I was I was given the impression that she was not allowed in this room. Like, you know, she is not welcome to come and check on you. She's not welcome, you know, to and and Jeremy was like, You're damn straight. Like she is not allowed. <laughs> To come up here. You did the right thing in making sure that her care was not transferred back over to this OB. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked when I overheard that. Um, so uh, anyway, so Teddy's surgery was scheduled for uh, Teddy's fourth day, uh, four days after Teddy was born. And so, you know, we come back to the hospital, Teddy gets checked in for surgery. I mean, even though Teddy's already in the hospital, Teddy gets checked in for surgery. It's kind of a process to go through. Yeah. Um, You know, we're given a pager and we're told, you know, we'll, we'll let you know when the surgery is done and then you can come back and then, you know, it'll still be a little while before you can see Teddy because, you know, they got to, even though the surgery is done, they still have to transfer Teddy back up to the cardiac wing um, Mm. and, and that kind of thing. Um. So 
Teddy was in the hospital for two and a half weeks total. Um, We were told that Teddy would probably spend four to six weeks in the hospital. So Teddy actually recovered quite a bit sooner than um, we had been anticipating. That's good. Um, There was a minor complication. Uh, Teddy's – the left side of Teddy's diaphragm is actually uh, paralyzed. Um, Just a minor complication. One of the – from what I understand, like one of the nerves got stretched or something like that during the operation, which is like, it's not common, but it's also not uncommon. Yeah. That kind Um, of thing can happen. Yeah. So, uh, so Teddy's, the left side of Teddy's diaphragm doesn't, um, function properly. So Teddy had to spend a little bit of extra time. Teddy actually would have been released sooner. Um, except Mm. for that, they, they needed to keep Teddy, on the oxygen a little bit longer because without that diaphragm working properly, they had to figure out if Teddy's other muscles and everything would start to compensate for that paralysis. So the other muscles um, did start to compensate for that. So that's a really good thing. But for us moving forward, we also know going into um, future checkups and things like that, they take pulse ox, which is um, they pulse an oxygen level in, uh, your blood mm-hmm. and it's like with a little red light on it looks uh, teddy calls mm-hmm. it alligator finger it looks like a little alligator's chopped onto your finger yeah a little, um, little finger clamp yeah teddy thinks it's hilarious yeah 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 and so that's how they <laughs> measure that um teddy's level is basically never a hundred um so we know it's it's okay. actually very very normal most people have a hundred and it's actually abnormal for it to dip down Teddy's usually somewhere in the 90 to 96 range ish normally. Um, so that's okay. just normal for Teddy. So like a lot of times, you know, we'll get like a 96 reading and the doctor or the nurse will be like, um, we're going to do this again. And I was like, you can do it all you want. It's not going to come back any better. Like this is just Teddy's normal. <laughs> um, okay. so I don't know yeah, if that's you kind of get it. Sometimes you got to have that right in the chart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably so both. we just know that's, you know, that's Teddy's baseline. Um, so for yeah, for those two and a half weeks, um, I would drive to the hospital every day and spend all day at the hospital with Teddy. Um, after the surgery, when Teddy was allowed to wake up a little bit, Teddy was finally able to start nursing. Um, after about Teddy was about okay. a week or so old, um, so I'd been pumping the whole okay. time. I had, um, you know, I was bringing I was bringing milk to the hospital with me for them to give Teddy when you know, I wasn't there. Um, but I actually had a really, really hard time. I couldn't stay the night at the hospital. Um, like I said, I was still going through my own set of trauma and my own, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of my past trauma resurfacing, um, mm-hmm. due to the things that happened in the birth room. And on top of that, like the initial fear of like, my child has to have open heart surgery. And then my child just had open heart surgery. And like, what are the complications yeah. going to be? What is, what is life going to look like with a heart baby mm-hmm. moving forward? Um, and, you know, there's just a lot of, lot of unknowns in those days, you know, in those early days for us. Um, so looking back now, Teddy's four and a half, um, aside from mm-hmm. a scar on Teddy's chest and Teddy being a little bit on the smaller side, you really wouldn't know. Teddy is completely active, hitting all their growth milestones. Well, their growth, I say Good. growth milestones. Um, gross motor skills, fine motor skills, cognitive skills, all of those. Teddy's just yeah. real petite. Teddy's four and a half okay. and is just barely sizing out of 2T clothing. So like a real small okay. three-year-old. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, Teddy's Teddy's great. Teddy is a firecracker. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, through through all of that, I really learned about consent and advocating for myself mm-hmm. and being willing to speak up. And it was it was in that cardiac wing with Teddy that I had the epiphany that I needed to turn this hobby that I had of taking photos into something more. I needed to be more do to do more than just, you know, snap a few photos here and there when I felt like it. And um, it took me about a year to work through some of my trauma and to be ready mm-hmm. to take that next step. Uh, it was it was just before Teddy's first birthday that I started my photography business seriously. And nice. yeah, Teddy's four and a half now. And, you know, the mm-hmm. last few years I felt this calling that I needed to come back to birth somehow. And that mm-hmm. this is where my journey started. And I kept feeling this, like, you need to come back to this because working with kids has, I've, I've always loved working with the littler kids. Um, so -hmm. for the first few years, I really specialized in like the toddler ages and a lot of photographers are like, oh, I struggle with that age. And I was like, oh, I love that age. That's my favorite. Give me Mm -hmm. all the little kids. Um, (laughs) and so, so coming back and now offering birth photography and doula work, it really feels like full circle to me. And it really feels like coming home. Like this is where my journey here started. And I'm coming back to this as I'm working through my own traumas. And now I'm ready to talk about my experience publicly, Um, not just in the written word, because I've shared my birth story through written words um, a a couple different times now. Um, Teddy's story has been shared on the Chalk blog. Um, we actually went really? in and did an interview with them and yeah, they, they featured Teddy's story, not so much my birth story, but Teddy's, you know, cardiac journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've shared my own birth story a few times and I feel like this podcast is the next step for me. It's helping me reach other people that I couldn't reach on my own, mm-hmm. that I couldn't reach um, you know, so far. And, and I hope that my story, while, while it is, while it was traumatic for me and it might be difficult for some people to listen to, I hope that the message that everybody gets out of it is, is informed consent, learning to advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. and learning how to set boundaries. And that's something that I've struggled with my entire life. Um, you know, as a kid and a young adult, I didn't know how to set boundaries. I wasn't allowed to have those boundaries as a kid. So I'm learning. I'm still learning how to do that. And as I get better at it, I want other people to know you're allowed to set boundaries. You're allowed to say mm-hmm. this birth provider is not right for me. They might be right yep. for somebody else, but they're not right for me. And that goes for me too. If if you hire me as a birth photographer and, you know, we're getting closer to your due date and you realize, you know, I don't click with you or or what it is you're envisioning or whatever, that's totally fine. What works for me might not be what works for you. And that's totally okay. And you're going to hear me say that yeah. so many times on this podcast because I believe it so strongly. And 
you know, maybe, you know, I'm sure my OB that I had was the right fit for somebody, but she was not the right fit for me. And I should have listened to my instincts a lot sooner and I should have Mm -hmm. trusted my gut and I should have, you know, looked for somebody else and reached out for help and asked for help in another way. And, you know, if, if you're in some type of situation where you feel like your birth provider isn't, isn't right for you, reach out, talk to somebody. If you can't, you know, if you don't, if you don't want to talk to somebody that, you know, a friend or a family member or somebody reach out to us, you know, shoot us an email, let us know, send us a DM and, and talk to us about it. And, and we will help, you know, coach you through that process or, or help you because, I can tell you firsthand, you need to be in the right hands. You need to be with yeah. the right people. And and first Definitely. and foremost, that is the most important part of any birth plan needs to be your comfort level with the providers that you have. So yeah, that's that's my birth story and that's that's my takeaway. And I I I really, really hope that somebody, even if this only helps one other person, I hope they take this to heart. And I hope that that it saves them the heartache and and the pain of of what I went through. And thank you for sharing it. Thank you for being willing to share it, uh, considering what you went through. Um, on a lighter note, what is something you do to take care of yourself now? So one of the things I do for myself is um, I like to diffuse essential oils in the house. So I have a diffuser in my bedroom and one in the living room, and I'm really intentional every day about what scents. I choose and I try to switch it up. I don't, I don't want to choose the same scent every day because Mm -hmm. I don't want to go nose blind to it. Yeah. Um, And for me, that's really important because I, you know, I, I have a dog and I don't know that, you know, my house smells like, I was recently told my house smells a little bit like dog and I was like, oh, I'm unaware of this because I've been a dog for seven years and I just don't notice it anymore. Um, Yeah. But I know that's that's a totally normal sensory thing is uh, we kind of go nose blind to stuff. And so I I make an effort to kind of switch it up every day. And so, you know, in the morning I'll sit with it and I'll think, you know, what kind of a scent do I want today? Do I want something that, you know, will help me focus? Do I want something that is really floral? Do I want to smell flowers today? Do I want something citrusy? Do I want something that's going to help me relax? Like what kind of frame of mind do I have? Um, if I've been struggling with allergies, I'll, you know, put in peppermint and rosemary to mm-hmm. lavender to help with some allergy relief and, and things like that. So I, I kind of am intentional. And because I have those two separate diffusers, I actually make those decisions twice. What do I want mm-hmm. in my living room? Probably a little different than what I want in my bedroom. So I kind of make yeah. those. Um, so, you know, I think about like, you know, if I'm going to be recording in my bedroom that day, I might want something <laughs> with some focus in it rather than some relaxing, you know, fall asleep type scent. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, if I'm going to be homeschooling with the kids, I might choose something for the living room that's a little more focus oriented or, um, you know, if we've got an energetic day, you know, pick something that's going to be like a nice wake up scent, you know, first thing mm-hmm. in the morning. I don't, I don't drink caffeine. Um so things like that. Um, and then something else I do for myself is, um, especially if I've had kind of a taxing day, I like to sit down and have a mug of tea with either a cookie or a scone or something like that in the evening. Um, because I don't, 
uh, like I said, I don't have it. I don't drink caffeine. I don't drink any coffee. And um, I only choose teas that are non-caffeinated. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to sit down with a, a big, like massive, massive mug of tea in the <laughs> evening and just kind of take a few minutes to myself after the kids are asleep to just like listen to the quiet and just feel that quiet for a few minutes. I think our days are so filled with sound from start to finish that 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 quiet is is really important. All right. And lastly, can you share a success or funny story from this week? Um, From this week. Or last week. Uh, I know. I'm trying to think of something. Okay. So my kids, uh, when they mispronounce things, I think it's hilarious. And <laughs> I refuse to correct them. I know that society okay. will correct them. They'll catch on sooner or later. Eventually. Um, yeah, they'll figure it out eventually. Like, I'm not going to burst their <laughs> bubble. And, like, they're four and six. Like, it's totally okay. Yeah. Um, so this week, uh, they had seen some little science TV show about kangaroos. And Teddy couldn't remember the word kangaroo. And so he was <laughs> like, what did he ask? Uh, they were doing some wildlife um, Zoom class for Charlotte's Girl Scouts or something. And the the person goes, you know, does anyone have any questions? Type them into the chat box. And Teddy looks up at me and he goes, Mama, why do rangaroos sometimes hide in the woods? Oh, <laughs> I, I about died. And I was like, oh, Teddy, oh, I don't know why <laughs> rangaroos hide in the woods, kiddo, but I love you. Um, oh, yeah, some of the other so ones cute. they've missed. Some of the other ones they've mispronounced over the years that I've loved were um, Charlotte used to call flamingos bumalingos, and she would like super over pronunciate <laughs> it, like bumalingo. And I'm just like, oh my god, you're adorable. <laughs> and Teddy actually also mispronounced flamingos. He would call them flingos. Like, I want to see the flingos. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, that's so cute. That's so cute. So, yeah, those are some silliness from my kids. Thank you guys for listening as I share my birth story and I really hope you guys had some good takeaways from it. I know it might have been a little rough, especially right there in the middle to listen to or maybe it's just me projecting. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, thank you guys for, for listening and letting me share with you. Thank you so much for joining us here on Birth Reimagined. If you'd like to join our Facebook community, you can find us there at Birth Reimagined Family. And if you'd like to join our email list, you can get the link to that on the show notes for this episode. Being a member of our email list gets you access to all our freebies and makes sure you're kept in the loop whenever a new episode drops or we have anything exciting to share. Thanks again and see you next time.